Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that this podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Hanging in there. It's it's good to meet you. I'm a fan of your channel. Oh, thank you. I, uh, I'll do a quick intro. Um, I'm talking with Jay Horton. Uh, do you want me to call you that? Do you want me to call you Jason? Uh, you can call me Jason. I, okay. I go by Jay professionally. Yeah, cool. Uh, Jason Horton. Uh, he makes movies that makes money. <laughs> That's a, a wonderful slogan. Uh, That's how I found you. Um, actually, I first came across your YouTube channel because you're the only one I could find at the moment that was talking about how Amazon was randomly, seemingly randomly pulling indie films from their yeah. catalog. And I was one of those uh, uh, filmmakers that got this really mystifying email. I went in, lo and behold, uh, I don't have a film on there. And uh, what happened was I reached out to them and I'm like, hey, could you guys tell me more? Is there something that I did wrong? Can I re-encode it? Do I have to fix the subtitles? Uh, and they're like, no, we just have all these data points that tell us that our audience isn't enjoying your film and you're not allowed to put it back on there. And I'm like, okay, so what are these data points? And they wouldn't tell me what their data points were. And so I started doing research and you're literally the only person who was talking about it that I could find. Yeah. I've, uh, you know, I've seen some other filmmakers complaining about it. You know, I've seen rants, you know, I've seen, you know, posts, I've seen YouTube videos, but I hadn't seen anybody that was actually, trying to do anything constructive with it or trying to provide information like, look, this is what it is. What can we do to move forward? Yeah. Uh, I'm currently collaborating with a data analyst to uh, work up an article kind of about, about it, about the situation and kind of going at it from a data standpoint, like, cause it would be a lot more helpful if we knew exactly what the parameters were, because at this point I can only guess okay, I have a slow opening. Maybe they're just not making it past the opening. But I don't know if that's the reality or not. And so, yeah, um, so that's how I came across your YouTube channel. And I've just been digesting the content for the past couple of weeks. Like, I love it. I love this thing. And I just want to familiarize my audience with you and your output of work because I, I think it goes along the lines of uh, kind of my mission on this end which is sort of the democratization of information to make life in the arts a little bit easier. Yeah. Uh, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I, you know, when I was starting out, you know, 20 years ago, there was nobody talking about the stuff that I'm talking about. There was nobody talking about lower budgeted movies, like how you got these going, how you got them into market, how you would market them once they got there. I mean, there was just nothing. All, all we had was, you know, article after article after article about, 
you know, Kevin Smith made uh, clerks for twenty thousand dollars. You know, the Blair Witch guys made theirs for twenty thousand dollars. El Mariachi was seven thousand dollars, and you know, you're going to be big stars. And, and that was all we had, you know. And then Robert Rodriguez's whatever ten minute film schools was the closest thing to like an independent production. You know, like this was before, you know, indie film hustle was a thing. This was really before uh, even uh, even some of the bigger ones, um, like No Film School and all those. So I, you know, I it, I learned by doing. I learned by getting out there, making movies, making mistakes, making mistakes with distributors, you know, fumbling around with marketing, you know, and it took me the better part of 15 years to kind of figure out a method that worked for me. And I was like, you know, what, what can, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good now. What can I do to give back? How can I help other filmmakers maybe not take 15 years to get to where I, to get to where I did? Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm in the same boat where, you know, I started making films in the late nineties in high school. Yeah. I went to film school from 2000 to 2001, complete waste of a year. Uh, and then really the bulk of my knowledge came from 15 to 20 years of just failing, getting it right occasionally failing. Uh, and, uh, but I didn't get my, I didn't get into my first festival until like literally my 21st movie. Oh, wow. um, and the people in the audience at the award ceremony, when I said that, because um, when I went up on stage, I'm like, this is my 21st movie. Like, <laughs> if you're not up here on this one, do it 19 more times or something like that. I'd said something like that. And people were That's just true. like gasped like that. We stuck with it this long. But honestly, I think it's a calling. And um, if it's a calling, it uh, you know, that's what's going to happen. Um I uh, I have all these notes where where I'm just kind of like that I took down as I was watching some of your content. I oh, oh sure. Th this morning I I ate breakfast to the uh, f the short film the uh, Espresso Sist. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So uh, the f funny thing about that. So you know I've always you know I've been a filmmaker and about three a little over three years ago. Um, a partner of mine, uh, me and a partner, uh, we found an investor to invest in our company and he was putting in, you know, amounts of money. And at a certain point, we kind of pivoted from, you know, narrative live action features into animation. And basically, I became an office manager for three years, you know, like I, I wasn't really creating, I was just running this animation office. Um, and that short film came out of that time. I was just like, I was itching to do something. So uh, actually the, the Jenny Curtis that stars in it, she was, uh, oh man, I forget what her title was at the, at the company, but she worked at the animation company. She was an actress and we just got together over a weekend and threw it together. Yeah. I, I loved it. I thought the acting, um, especially with the, uh, not ordained character was just, <laughs> spot on i love that it's rooted in sort of this misunderstanding of uh officiating versus <laughs> official officiated versus ordained uh, right. uh, as a creative writing student like all my uh, education is rooted in writing i just love the play on words and how the whole movie is kind of rooted in the play on words and uh yeah. yeah i was i was running a screenwriting group at the time as well just a, another outlet and actually the writer uh was in that group and uh, this was one of the short stories he was uh, he was sharing. 
And I was just like, man, this is awesome. Like, do you want to come make this? And I, you know, I made him an offer and, you know, we got together and made the movie. It's, uh, I've directed stuff that other people have written before, but this is like one of the first times where I actually like produced it myself, you know, where I wasn't a hired gun. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 what, what, can I ask you a question about the technical specifications? I don't usually do this, but I am curious about the, um, the ultra wide, like ultra, ultra wide. <laughs> yeah, it was ultra, ultra wide. I honestly, it was so it, honestly, I don't have a good reason. I, I thought, um, because it was so interior, like I wanted to give it a more epic scope and I had just got done, uh, directing a narrative feature that was shot anamorphic and I was kind of in love with that frame, even though it wasn't shot anamorphic, the short, but uh, I just decided to play around with it. I was like, I wanted to get some more experience uh, editing anamorphic. So I was like, I'll use this as kind of a, a, a step for that. But there, there really is no good, you know, uh, artistic reason for it. That seems good enough for me. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that'll be it for, I used to host the Q and A's for some of the film festivals here in New York. And the one thing that filmmakers always leaned on were technical questions. So I try to avoid them, but I was just curious about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. When it comes to tech stuff, I, I'm honestly not your guy. I'm a, I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a very not technical minded filmmaker. Yeah. You seem really down to earth with the business side, which is really rare. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know my stuff, you know, but you know, like I'm not going to get into a, like an online argument about, you know, camera types or, you know, brands or, yeah, you know, I'm not going to argue premiere versus final cut. I don't give a shit. It's all tools. Yeah, and the tools will be out of date in a few years anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what you have a montage of people talking about what their opinion of a micro budget film is. What's your opinion of a micro budget film? What's the numbers to you? So, so for me, a micro budget film is anything shot under twenty five thousand dollars. You know, twenty five thousand dollars or under usually. <clears throat> usually financed either by yourself or, you know, like people, you know, maybe crowdfunded, um, usually just no, uh, like there's no, you know, legit like form of funding behind you. You know, it's like you're bootstrapping it up. That, that That's kind of how I consider it. Great. Um, yeah, I, uh, I've been trying to figure that out for myself because I've just I've done nothing. But with the exception of client work, I've really done nothing on my own that wasn't micro budget. And really, I, I've decided for myself to create a scale sort mm. of. So like if there's a certain amount of production value in the script that I can't do, but I'm going to try to do like maybe in an an indie action movie for a hundred thousand dollars would be like a micro budget, but a talkie would definitely be a big budget for, you know, that same amount of money. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly, it's all semantics, you know, and all a matter of perspective. Yeah. Uh, there, there was somebody in my last documentary that he, like he would get really like adamant and been out of shape over, you know, that, that quantification, like, no, it has to be, you know, $10,000 or under, or, or it's not a micro budget. It's no budget. And then, you know, the like different, and I'm like, man, it's, it's all, <laughs> you know, it's all gravy. Um, what in one of your, your videos, you talk about how it's important to stay creative on the business side. At what point, what, can you give us an example of like some of the earliest projects where you really started 
realizing this and kind of what you were doing at the moment? What were you doing before the this realization and what specific moves did you start making when you realized, wait a minute, I need to be more creative beyond just the creation of the thing. Right. Well, I, you know, I wish I could go back and say it was a long time ago, but honestly it was about probably two years ago. Um, I, you know, I was living, I was living the filmmaker dream just like any, or I was pursuing the filmmaker dream just like anybody else. I, you know, I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to give it to a distributor. It's going to make a ton of money. I'm going to get, you know, uh, the next movie funded from it. Like it, it's, it's all one thing's going to lead to another. And, you know, I, and I was failing at that like over and over again. I, oh, I shouldn't say, I mean, I, like I was hired to direct a lot of movies that have done very well, but like, I didn't own them as far as stuff that I've owned though, like where, you know, I produced it, I made it, I think I'd done maybe six narrative features, you know, prior to two years ago that were a hundred percent mine. And, you know, 90% of those were not financially successful you know, or at least not upon their initial releases. So, and then about three years ago, I did a movie called uh, The Campus, which was later changed to Death Day. And, you know, you know, it turned out pretty good. We had a decent budget. We had a decent shooting schedule. Had I made that exact same movie even two years prior, I think it would have been a hit, you know, without me knowing how to market it. But so it came out, it didn't do so hot. And I'm like, why is this failing? You know, like the, the movie's okay. Like it has the budget. I have all the sellable elements. Why is it not selling? And just like one day it hit me as like, I don't really know how to market. Like I, I'm, I'm doing the same thing that all the other filmmakers are doing. I'm making posts on social media like, oh, hey, please see my movie. I'm going into filmmaker groups and, you know, I'm soliciting other filmmakers to see my movie. But I'm not doing anything that's approaching a real viable market strategy. So it was right around there that I made the switch. And it also coincided with me starting to work on documentaries. I have a, I have a quote I pulled from you. Sure. I think this is, an, uh, this is a, a great quote because I don't think a lot of people understand the importance of luck in all of this. There's a, lot, there's a lottery ticket component to every one of their successes. And in this, you were talking about auteurs like Scorsese. Uh, and I honestly think that that quote, it, you know how they have quotes on some people's IMDb profiles. You should put that quote on your profile. It's an excellent quote. And it's so important Thank to you. get, to get across to film students that you, a lot of this is luck. Like you could be the best of the best. You could really have some of the most original ideas and maybe even have the luck of having invested in a, a kick-ass digital cinema camera package but you're still going to require a lot of luck on the other side of this and um you, yeah. you're, you're preaching everything that i'm trying to get across <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i think um where where that really kind of it hit me um a few years ago um i was uh talking with a distributor and i was looking at some of their titles and they were showing me this title, which I, I wish I could name it, but they, they, they would freak out. Anyway, so they show me this movie, and this movie is doing, like, nothing. I mean, it's making, like, $15 a month, if that, like, nothing. And 
it's one of the best independent movies I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, it's every bit as good as Reservoir Dogs, every bit as good as El Mariachi. I mean, it was awesome. And, you know, and they showed me another couple movies that were not quite that good, but on a similar level that weren't doing well. And then it just hit me like the, like the director of that movie. I mean, he's every bit as talented has a, you know, a Tarantino or a Spike Lee or, you know, a Christopher Nolan, but the world will never know him. Yeah. I've met a lot of people like that. I've had, you know, I got a friend out in Santa Monica who, um, he won Sundance uh, in the '90s, the same year that um, Ed Burns won, and oh, yeah. uh, he hasn't done nearly as much. And I, I just honestly don't know what happened. I, I think that it really, it really comes down to luck. Yeah, it's I mean, so weird. And we're not taking anything away from these guys' talent. You know, like I, I talk a lot about Tarantino, and I, I love Tarantino. He's one of my favorite writer-directors ever. I mean, I think he's immensely talented. And there are people that, yes, like, they're going to get found. Like, they're so good, they're going to get found. But that's, like, again, that's a lottery ticket thing. That's like a, a one in a million, you know? Yeah. And so the rest of us we just have to keep working. We have to create a body of work and a consistent body of work. And, and we have to keep making, you know, that not our first movie is most likely not going to break us out. Our second movie is most likely not going to break us out. You know, we'll most likely never hit that, you know, like that, that viral movie to borrow a, you know, young person term, you know, like the movies aren't going to, they're not going to go viral. You know, like I, you know, I, I do very well with my movies now, but, like they're all at modest amounts. I mean, I'm not making a million dollars on anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I think that comes down to sort of the expectations that young people have that is always rooted in the, the success stories of everybody that came before them. And I actually think Kevin Smith's story is bad for business. It's bad for the future. Like we should stop telling it. Um, because one, it's not even the same festival that it used to be. And two, it's just such a long shot and it doesn't really inspire entrepreneurial spirit in the film industry. And I think we need to change the expectations by changing the story. And I think your story is a great story. Like, yeah, it took a while, but you seem to be getting there and you're, you're using what you've learned along the way. Uh, to kind of retool the public story. Uh, and I've been obsessed with the story. You know, I, it's why I didn't do anything for a long time because, oh, I didn't have the right camera and I, it wasn't yep. going to go into the right festival. Screw this Hole in the Wall Festival. I now love Hole in the Wall Festivals. I think they're the best. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's really just retooling expectations by taking all these stories and kind of retooling them so they're a lot less important than they have been and I don't, I don't 100% know how to do that except to be doing stuff like this because uh, I don't have control over, you know, places like IndieWire or some of these other publications that continuously put out reminders. Yeah, hey, this is what Kevin Smith did in 1990-whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it cracks me up when I see, like, uh, something from, like, IndieWire or one of the bigger things. And, they're, and you know, it's like, how, how to succeed with independent film? And it's like, you know, five steps with Robert Rodriguez. And I was like, 30, 30 years ago, man. 30 years ago. 
Like yeah. it, that, that world, that independent cinema, it does not exist anymore. It's not there. Like, like you, you absolutely, it's not just a few people come up like that. Nobody comes up like that anymore. Nobody. Yeah. Like I was just thinking about this the other day. I asked this in a filmmaking group um, and, and maybe part of it is just me getting a little bit older, but I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking like the last, like, like rock star, rock star director I, that I can think of was in that was in that '90s thing. The Kevin Smiths, the Tarantinos. Like I can't think of anybody in the last 20 years that's had that kind of cultural impact. Has an individual, not not their movie, like, but has an individual. Like people knew my mom, you know, who was in her 70s in Indiana. She she knows Quentin Tarantino, you know, but like she, she don't she doesn't know who the fuck Christopher Nolan is. She doesn't know Robert Eggers. You know, she doesn't know um, the Duplass brothers. She doesn't know uh, shit, the brothers that made uh, Uncut Gems, Safety brothers. Like, yeah. wouldn't wouldn't know him from Adam, but she knows Quentin Tarantino. She knows Spike Lee. Yeah. Yeah, I almost think the cutoff started with, like, the baby boomer generation, so the Spielbergs and the Lucas. And then we had a little, a few stragglers after that, like Smith and Tarantino. And that's almost all, all, all thanks to Merrimass because that, yeah. Um, despite the evils that we found out about uh, the head of that company, uh, they really he really pulled the pulled the a lot out of uh, some of these guys in terms of creating a new sort of generation of our tours. But yeah, it hasn't happened since. And yeah, all, all these names you just dropped, I know them, but I'm yeah. a filmmaker. I have to know them. Um, but it's so strange to me that nobody after after sort of, I guess they're Gen X that uh, uh, the, they never made that they never made it to that status. And this is something I brought up uh, on a, a couple podcast episodes ago with author Amy Morin, where like we were talking about how like it seems like after 1980, people who were born after 1980 or kind of around the the turn of the decade there just never seemed to climb that ladder. And I don't know what it comes down to. We were guesstimating some ideas, but yeah, um, well, I think it's, I think it's a myriad of things, but the, I mean, as far as independent film, it changed, you know, it's just not the same landscape, you know, the, the, the film festival, you know, discovery thing, like that just, it just doesn't happen. Like very, very, very rare, you know? Um, you know, the, the, uh, it's just no, nothing. The distribution is different. You know, the limited theatrical distribution was different. DVD distribution was different. You know, stream streaming has changed everything for independent film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, so, and, uh, you know, for a while and initially streaming, I was able to profit off it. And mm. then like, as you've tackled in some of your videos, you know, Amazon bean counters changed the model and suddenly I wasn't. And uh, I think it's going to continue. It's going to continue to be a fight where like you have to find, find your way to do it, find your way to profit off it, but don't lean hard in as don't depend on it. Cause it, the bean counters will change it down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's super important not to count on any one platform and, and I'm right in the same boat. I mean, I'm still, I mean, I'm, I still, to this day, I still, 
I, I think this month might be the first month where I had another platform surpass Amazon. Like I was still making most of my money on Amazon. It's just, and, and I'm making relatively good money, but you know, I would have been making like, you know, 15 times what, what I'm making now two years ago, which is, you know, every yeah. now and then that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is. And, I think that that's it's it's a, it's important though that we convey like to people who are interested in doing this that this is the stuff that this is the reality of stuff that you're going to have to deal with once your movie's done and so um I'm glad that you're getting all that content out there I'm glad we're able to do it here and um Oh I made a note here uh I about Netflix. I, I here's my note. It literally says Netflix equals fairy tale, and you need a 4K master. <laughs> that came from watching some of your videos. I love that because that's it's true, man. You'd like they're not an indie film distributor. No, Maybe it just it just cracks me up. I, I I see it all. You can almost you can almost always tell kind of a, a wannabe uh, producer in Hollywood because the, they'll somebody that's never had a movie out on Netflix, but they'll sit there and talk about how their movie is going to be distributed on Netflix. You can usually tell they don't know what the hell they're talking about. For one thing, it'll never get there, and even if it does get there as an independent, you're not going to make any money. Like Netflix pays so little for those unless you're a known quality, unless you have a big name actor in there. I mean, they take a two or three year license. And I mean, you're looking at maybe 15 grand over the course of those three years, depending on the project, you know, it differs, but they, they can pay very, very little. And even compared to the one cent an hour at Amazon, I mean, I'm still, I have titles at Amazon that make one cent an hour that I still make, you know, a thousand dollars a month on. You know, but had I give that to Netflix, I would have made like a quarter of that. I've 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 only known two people who ever had their movies on there. They didn't even make it a year. The movies got pulled for some reason, and they didn't make anything. Yeah, um, I've had I've had a few, but not not. I think the last one I had on there was probably three years ago, and it was through another uh, producer. But I mean, you know, they, they paid a license fee up front for it. And, you know, we got a, we made a little bit of money off it, but it was small. And then I had a horror movie that was on there almost, Jesus, probably 10 years ago, right? When they first started doing streaming and I did okay on that one. But again, that was a, a different, completely different time. I'm interested in um, more of your background. Uh, where are you based? Are you okay saying where you're based? Yeah, yeah. Um, I live in Georgia now. Um, I moved here uh, about three months ago. Um, I was from. Uh, I was based in LA before that. I was in LA for 15 years. Um, that's where I did the bulk of my work. Um, I did my first. I'm going like backwards chronologically. Um, <laughs> Before uh, L.A., I was in New Orleans. I went to college there, shot my first movie. And before that, I was born in Indiana. Oh, okay, so you're, you've are you been in the South and Midwest mm-hmm. and then L.A. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I what brought like, you to Georgia? Um, honestly, uh, you know, I got to a point in my work where I could live wherever. I mean, I all my content is self-generated. I you know, I fund my own movies. I shoot my own movies. I, I can do them anywhere. You know, like if I, if I want to do a larger narrative, you know, I can go down and shoot it 
in Ohio or California or wherever I want. I don't need to be based in LA anymore for contacts. And, you know, I'm getting a little older. I wanted to, you know, looking at buying a house and stuff like that. Real estate is cheaper down here. And I just kind of miss the, like, like I'm outside of Atlanta now. I like, I like the country. Well, yeah. And Georgia seems to have a pretty good film presence down there at this point. Uh, Yeah, they do. They do. I see the whole Georgia symbol on a lot of movies now. Yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't got out and networked that much here yet, but, you know, we're still COVID. And I mean, I have probably a dozen like documentaries in the can right now that I'm still trying to, you know, uh, do editing on. Yeah. I've seen some, a lot of your documentaries. Do you mainly produce those? Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I mean, I make them soup to nuts, but as far as career, I'm not looking to build my career as a documentary director. So that's usually something I'll give to somebody else working on me, working on the movie with me, or I'll use a pseudonym. Um, so yeah, I usually just take the producer credit, but I'm editing them. I'm shooting them. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I'm the director. There, there's a few where, you know, the the director that's credited, you know, did the work, but not not often. Yeah, you've you've produced a couple of um, a couple of movies I saw before I even ran into your your YouTube channel because one of my guilty pleasures is UFOs and aliens. Oh, okay. I, I rarely reveal that, but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you know, I wasn't, I mean, honestly, I didn't really know too much about it. I was more interested in the people that were into it, which is one thing that I really like about documentaries in general. You don't necessarily have to support or be into the subject of the documentary, but it's like, it's the, the people's passion about the subjects is what, to me, is what's entertaining, you know, so, which is another reason why I kind of jump around so much in different types of documentaries. Yeah, I remember that being the case when um, I got hired to do some video work for, there was this national nonprofit, um, I won't name drop them, but they had me going around New York City uh, just to interview elected officials about this topic. And I was just blown away by like, I, you know, how much passion lies in any given subject area and it, how little effort to me it seemed to produce this stuff because it seems like with fiction, it's always, con- I'm always constantly trying to inspire people that this is the right thing. This is, you know, this is what, where we should put our energy. It's worth it, try, you know. But with whenever I was producing some of this content, it was much easier to kind of let things roll because everybody always already had that fire under their asses uh, in some way or another. Um, So I can can totally see how that could be relatively enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, this is like my thing on documentaries and this is a gross generalization and and don't, and I'm not shitting on narrative movies. I still like my passion is still making more narrative movies. I just make them less often now, but I think that documentary filmmaking, I'm sorry, let me, backtrack that narrative filmmaking in general is coming from a more selfish place it's a it's a look at me medium you know whereas documentary filmmaking is look at the person that i'm doing look at the subject you know it's about the subject it's not about the movie it's not about the filmmaker it's not about the actors it's about the subject you're exploring and I think that also, when you're talking about marketing, that leads itself to like the perfect storm of marketing. 
you know, because you're you're creating content like for an audience that gives value to an audience. You know, like I, you know, I did a dog rescue documentary and there are people all around the country that are super passionate about dog rescues. Like there is an audience, you can find them in Facebook groups and Reddit threads and they will watch your movie. You know, even if it's a different state, they don't care. They, they, they want to support that. Or if you're talking about the, the aliens one, there's a super passionate, very large community behind those subjects, you know, or Bigfoot or, you know, whatever it is. So I just, uh, as far as documentaries go, that kind of, you know, selfless approach also leads to better, easier to market. I'd imagine too that you're connecting with people you wouldn't have otherwise connected with. Um, and I, I, you know, some of my favorite contacts have resulted from me doing these types of projects where I wouldn't have otherwise thought to do, um, you know, as a filmmaker in films or as a film student, you know, I was anti-documentary. I was like, not interested in working on a crew, you know, <laughs> I was just like my movies, my movies, my movies. It really is an insular medium uh, unless you make, consciously are able to kind of break out of that. And yeah. And there are people that do, like I said, it's a bad, it's a generalization, but, but, I, but I, and, and I'm just basing this on, you know, kind of my career trajectory. And when I started, you know, and I was making narrative movies and I, I was very self-focused. I mean, everything was about me. Like I, I didn't want to hear nothing about your movie or about, you know, working together, collaborating. I could care less. You know, it, it, it took a few years and some maturing for me to realize, you know, that the world was a lot bigger than just me. Yeah, I think that's honestly, you say it's a generalization, but there's it's rooted in truth. And that was me for a long time as well. And I think that's like a lot of young filmmakers. It's all, it's all about them. And, uh, it does take growth. It does take doing projects and, and running into problems for people to realize that we're more likely to get through this if we work together. And so, yeah, I, I mean, one, what the main thing, the main reason I reached out to you was because you were promoting this idea that, in, the best way to promote an independent film or an independent filmmaker is to start supporting others, start supporting your peers, which time and time again, I've been trying to get people to adopt. And I mean, this goes back many years. I, at one point I was, a, I had brought my film to the anthology film archives here in New York because we have this weekly screening series called new filmmakers, New York. I don't know if you know about it, no. Uh, every Wednesday and Thursday, um, they screen independent films, and it's it's one of the better bets to submit to because it's weekly, and so they're always hungry for content, and they'll screen it in an actual movie theater yeah. uh, uh, on the Lower East Side. And uh, after I screened there for the first time, I said, "Hey, I would like to start meeting the filmmakers that come through here." And so would you be interested in giving me admission every week in exchange? I'll do video interviews for you. And so I created sort of a YouTube channel for them and a filmmaker profile series, which I did for a couple of years just to network with filmmakers. And honestly, that was the most productive time I had in terms of promoting my own work because I was getting other people not only 
their exposure, but they were being exposed to me and my content. And I almost didn't need to do any work in that era to promote my stuff because they would come out of the work work woodwork and they'd be like, Hey, uh, you know, uh, what are you doing now? Or I've been following you and I see that you're doing this. And before it was just empty Facebook posts. Hey, I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe you get a like if for somebody who feels bad for you <laughs> and that was it. But yeah. I, and so when you were saying that, like really it all comes down to supporting others I mean, those aren't your specific words, but that's mm -hmm. kind of the gist of that one video where you were talking about ways to promote yourself and promote your project. And I 100% agree. And I really, I, I want to hit it home that that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I feel really, really strongly about that. And it's one of my, you know, I, I am definitely not somebody that sits around on social media and judges people based on what they do or don't post. But one thing the one judgmental side of me is like if i have a filmmaker friend and if i go on their facebook and i scroll down their main page and there's no links for anything by anyone else that doesn't directly involve them that isn't a big studio film i like it's almost an automatic like defriend like i i've i've actually cut myself off professionally from you know talented filmmakers like nice guys but they just totally self-focused online and it's just it's such a big pet peeve of mine like it, it really triggers me yeah i feel the same way i uh, i i think some of it too is like there's also like social media strategies that mm. are now out there where you know firms will tell their clients like something but don't share it if you if you if they acknowledge you but only share don't only share it if if you personally benefit from it and i'm just like that doesn't that that and like i understand why they're saying it but it yeah. really gets under my skin that that's an official strategy of a lot of a lot of people now because these are what these gross. firms decided yeah it's gross because <laughs> um, i mean the i mean just on a purely pragmatic level, one of the hardest uh, points in self-promotion is self-promoting. You know, like it just, it looks ugly. It looks gross, you know, and no matter how clever you are or how you wrap it up or try to make it about something else, it's, it's self-promotion. So what helps to make that seem not so bad, to seem a little less gross, you throw in posts for other people. <laughs> You know, you throw in more posts for other people than you do about yourself, and all of a sudden you don't look like this big self-promoting asshole. When, in fact, you're, you know, maybe you don't really care about those people and you're just sharing it. And that's that's fine. I mean, and, and to be 100% honest, that's probably how I started it. Like, when I first started, like, actively sharing for others, I probably was just thinking, oh, like, you know, people will see me doing this and, you know, it'll make me look good. And, you know, it wasn't this altruistic thing. But over time, doing those actions, like starting the, the YouTube channel, I mean, initially I was like, I, you know, I, I want to do this thing and I want to try to get a few more eyeballs on my documentaries and, you know, I'll talk about filmmaking, you know, but after doing, I don't know, 10 or 15 of the videos and starting to get feedback from people saying, oh my gosh, this was so helpful and this and that, it, it switched in my head and it actually became this 
like more of a service than a self-promotional thing. I know that it, some stuff probably is a little foggy at this point, but I have, um, for me, I have a production that I did some years back, which totally educated me on sort of the realities of the film business. And uh, of course, that's my first, t first and thus far only time directing a movie under the SAG after a contract. Mm. Do you have a production where like, it was a turning point in terms of your realization of like, cause when I, when I was initially making independent movies, I was in a fog of fantasy about what it was that I was doing versus after this, this, this production, I kind of realized the actual world I was living in the brutality of the world I was living in. And do you have a moment like that where like, Oh my God, you I'm know, really alone or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, honestly, there, there wasn't a single one. It was a culmination of moments. And I mean, you know, when my first movie came out and didn't make any money, didn't make any money for me, made the distributor money, but didn't make any money for me. And then the second movie came out, same thing happened. Thir third and fourth movie, same thing happened, <laughs> you know, it was through the culmination of those events and then, and then working, for some producers that were making, you know, micro budget movies and making money on them and seeing how they were doing and how they were doing it. A combination of those things kind of opened my eyes. Yeah. It's so, it's so, um, vulgar. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the... a wonder that I didn't, I, I just said this in a video the other day, cause you know, I'm, I'm kind of going through my filmography movie by movie and doing a little video on each one. So like I just finished the fifth one, which was the first time I was uh, hired uh, to direct a movie, but the first four were they all self-produced or, or produced, you know, with friends, you know, bootstrapped up and in initial releases, we never made money on any of those. You know, years later, a few of them made some money, but at least then, like, I was four movies deep and every single one had lost money. Well, at least you saw the writing on the wall. Uh, yeah, it, it took me this this production where I just kind of realized that, wow, these this organization, which I thought would be an asset to the production they didn't care two shits whether I finished that film or not. All they wanted was uh, a deposit into their pension fund. And mm. I'm just like, holy shit. Uh, I was, that was the only gray hair I ever spouted, sprouted uh, <laughs> uh, so far. I'm 39, and that was in my early 30s. And uh, after I vowed to not deal with them again and as long as I was financially responsible, I, uh, I never got a gray hair after that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I oh, really no appreciate your time. Uh, very valuable content. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Bye. All right. Have a good one.